0: Okay, good morning, everyone. It is uh, fantastic to resume. All the classes are fantastic to resume, but this one is a special uh, place in my heart because I try to get something out of every class I teach, but uh, this class is a wonderful uh, little support group we have for working on Amuna, so it's it's fantastic. Um, this year, our Amuna class is being sponsored anonymously in loving memory of Shane Gitel Bas Chaim Shaul. So I want to both uh, thank our anonymous sponsors and to make sure that our learning is. Okay, this morning we are going to try to make Amuna great again. We are going to uh, work on Amuna. We're going to work on Amuna at a time when um, a lot of the country is... uh, You have mute. on mute. All right, you're now on. (laughs) on. Okay, you put on mute. When much of the country is hungover from last night, I think if they had some way of measuring the productivity level of the country today... For different reasons, but most of all, the exhaustion level of people who <laughs> stayed up half, if not the whole night. Mostly for nothing. could have gone to sleep at 10 a.m. if you were going to go to sleep at 2 a.m. At 10 p.m. if you were going to sleep at 2 a.m. But in any case, we could all use a good burst of emuna. So what we're going to study today um, comes from the Slan Marebbe of Shalom Noach Berzavski Zatzal. This is the previous Slan Marebbe who lived in Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh. Um, a great Talmud Chacham, a very uh, special individual. Uh, on many occasions both when taking missions to Israel, even privately uh, as a person, I love to attend tishes, Hasidic tishes in Yerushalayim. Hasidic Tish is not something that you come across in Boca Raton, Florida. Um, it's really special when, when you're in a base madras that it's bleachers up the sides and the is sitting at the table and you're observing or you're participating in his meal and the singing and the swaying and the dancing. Um, and at a Hasidic Tish, there's a, a strong tradition of eating Shirayim. That what the Rebbe, what a tzaddik, has made contact with what he ate he transformed a food from simply being a material, physical food, into injecting a level of spirituality. And so everyone who imbibes a piece of that, somehow is also tasting from that which was transformed from the physical into the spiritual. So there's a tradition of eating Shirayim. And many Hasidic tishas that I used to attend, it took a lot of courage to participate. I am a little bit of an istinist, a little bit of a uh, sensitive in this area, so... And particularly Rosh Hashanah time, they would pass around the honey and everyone would just pass it from each other's hands and fingers. But the salon of a tish, always, the only tish I ever went to, a plate and a fork and a napkin and in the bleachers they passed it around so I have a great affinity for the Son of Rebbe, both for his uh, sense of hygiene and for his very ins- and his very inspirational divrei Torah. So the Slonim Rebbe's uh, svarim on parsha have become somewhat famous in recent years. This comes not from a sefer of his in the parsha. This comes from two volumes he has on philosophy, on ashkafa, and on character, on self-improvement. And as you see, the title is Emuna, Shira Hachayim Shel Yehudi, Emuna, faith is the song of the life of a Jew. And again, it's very important to define our terms. We spent a lot of time on this last year. Emuna is awareness, knowledge, confidence of God's existence, that there's a creator of the universe, that we're not here by chance, that things aren't random. There's a design and order and meaning and purpose to the universe. That's emuna. Bitachon means faith, that He interacts with me, that all that happens in my life and in the world around me is a result of His providence of his dominion. So we use the term emunah when we're talking about having faith that God is behind what's happening. That's really an inappropriate use of the term. Emunah is the philosophical conclusion that there is a God, as opposed to bitachon. So here we're talking about bitachon, but we call it emunah. Ha emunah, he sowed kiyumo v'nishmas aposhal yehudi. Faith is the foundation of the existence, and it is the breath that we breathe of a Jew. To believe that there's a God. To not conclude that life is random and chance, and happenstance. Ka'avir like air is to breath. adamos. If you're denied air, you're denied life. A person who has no access to air suffocates. You need air to breathe, to be animated, to be alive. amuna ha'amamin. So amuna is the air that we breathe of a person who's living life with faith. If you believe God exists, then nothing is random, nothing is chance. If you lack that faith that there's meaning and purpose of God's existence in our lives, then everything is chance. Biltiya Amuna ruhani etis, says the Salana Rebbe, Lacking amuna, lacking that faith that we're not here by chance and things that are happening are not by chance, means that you cannot truly be a spiritual person. Spirituality, the Jewish definition of spirituality is not singing Kumbaya, is not on the top of a mountain, is not feeling transcendent or elevated. You can achieve a level of mindfulness, what we call Hispodedus, what we talked about at length on Shabbat Shuvah. You can achieve a lot of other character traits or, or experiences, powerful moments in time. But genuine spirituality cannot occur... Without a foundation of the fact that there is a creator of the universe, I'm not here by chance or accident. Things that happen in the world and my personal world are by design, that I rely on him, I depend on him, I turn to him, I love him, he loves me, he's intimately aware of and involved in my life, and I seek an intimate connection and love with Him. And if one lacks that foundation, which I don't mean to in any way minimize or suggest is easy, right? Oh yeah, that foundation. Remember, you know, love God, feel connected to God, be dependent on God, and feel Him every moment of your life. I don't mean to suggest that it's, that it's easy, um, but that foundation is the source of true genuine spirituality. <inaudible> so in other words, the Jew who lives life with a column... Did this mitzvah, keep kosher, keep Shabbos, do this, said this, and there, that. Check, 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 check. Sat in the sukkah, yeah, and little mezra, yeah, great. Next, gotta light the Hanukkah candles, gonna blow the chauffeur, gonna... Check, 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 check. But in the end of the day, they lack that feeling of confidence, of awareness, of the presence of the Almighty in their life. They don't feel his guiding hand on their shoulder. They don't feel that hug when they need it. They don't feel a sense of frustration with him when they feel he's abandoned them or or anger even. We've talked about the role of anger anger too being an expression of amunah. They don't have a, a sense of protest. Hashem, two young people have been diagnosed with cancer. I'm protesting that. That's not acceptable. I'm not, that's, not, that's not okay. Change that. That's not, we're not accepting it. We're protesting it. That if you lack... That feeling, even if you're doing all the right things on the outside, check, 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 check. You know, it's like in marriage. Like, what do do you mean you don't know if I love you? I put a check, I I brought you the flowers every Friday, check. I got you a card for the anniversary, check. I provide a roof over your head. you do this for me, we do this for each other. Check, 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 check. But you never ever feel a sense of affection, of intimacy. You never confide in me. There's no love. Yeah, but what do you mean? Check, 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 check. Like, what, what's the problem? What's the, what's the joke they say about the, the rabbi who says to the husband, you know, your wife is, is feeling alienated. She's not sure you love her. She doesn't feel closeness to you. And the husband says, I, I, don't, I don't understand. And the rabbi says, well, you know, do you ever say you, I love you to your wife? He said, I, I said it. Well, when's the last time you said I love you to your wife? He said, I said it on our, on our wedding night 25 years ago, and I've never rescinded it since then. So it stands. So a, a, relationship needs, a relationship needs nurturing. It needs nourishment. And the same is true in our relationship with Hashem. It's not just about putting the checks in all of the columns of doing the right things externally. If doing all those right things are not informed and alive and inspired by this acute sense of Hashem is in my life. Hashem runs the world. And with that, I just want to add one word. I just said this in another class in the the Cup of Joe at Shul, but I'm going to say it again. I have no comment on the election. I don't want to talk about which candidate would have been better, or is the fact that Donald Trump. I'm even saying those words. But President Trump is our next is our next president. Is that good? Is that bad? I don't want to comment on that. I don't, I don't it, for a whole host of reasons. But I want to comment on is the following. What I think was tragically missing from so much of the rhetoric not among the population at large, but as observant Jews, as spiritual Jews, what was missing from so much of our conversation is God. Is the idea that yes, we do our best to identify and analyze candidates. Yes, we do our best to even advocate or lobby. Yes, in the end of the day, we walk into that voting booth. And Yecheved will tell you, when I walked in, shaking literally over yesterday and the decision and, the challenge of it and the consequence of it and I said two prokum of Tehillim before I decided yeah, what to put the pen to the ballot but we, we do everything we can and ultimately we, we, we take advantage of the incredible blessing in our life to be able to vote but when all is said and done we have to realize that that the heart of kings is in the hand of God and that yes, we elect our leaders and yes, leaders ultimately are a reflection of the people but there's also a God who runs the world And people could not ascend to that most powerful position in the entire world if it were not somehow part of a master plan. And I say that about the last eight years, and I say that about the next four years, right? Which represent different parties and different philosophies. And whichever one you are thrilled by, and whichever one you're devastated by, but both could not happen without the will and the consent of the Almighty Himself. And so, you know, it's painful for me this morning to see what I think are excessive reactions in both directions. We as observant Jews should be more cautious in our reactions in both directions. At an early minyan I went to this morning, I think very grossly inappropriately, the chazen finished the repetition of the amida, and a few voices screamed out, "Hallel," And to which a number of other voices responded, Ay, we should say the long tachanum. And that really reflects the division in this country <laughs> right both both were grossly grossly inappropriate in the middle of our davening but the ramban has a comment the torah tells us losis go to do it says to do we are children of god is one pasuk and the very next pasuk is losis go to do losis go to do means you can't take a razor and cut your skin why would i ever take a razor and cut my skin i need to be told that i can't cut myself so rashi explains that the, the other contemporary nations of the world as an expression of more. We cut our clothing. We sit low to the ground. Other cultures would actually cut their skin. They would, they would cut their own flesh to show their own pain as an expression of grieving. And the Ramban says, what's the connection between B'anam Atem Lashem and Los Do? What's the continuity between the verse we're children of God don't cut yourself? And the Ramban says something so beautiful. He says, we as Jews grieve. You lose a loved one, there's a sense of loss, it's painful. Of course we grieve. But we don't grieve excessively. Because when you grieve excessively, what you're saying is, I've been separated from my loved one and I will never be reunited with them again. There is no afterlife, there is no world to come, there is no resurrection, there is no future. This is it, it's over, and I'm unconsolably devastated. And when you grieve excessively, what you've done is knock God out of the equation. You've knocked the whole Jewish philosophy out of the equation. So we cry and we grieve. And that's part of the Jewish experience, but we don't grieve excessively. And that's my feeling after last night's historic election, is that whether those who are grieving excessively or those who are celebrating excessively, nobody knows what the future holds or what we will say in six months or a year or four years about how this will turn out. Devastatingly, irreversibly horrible or somehow wonderful, we don't know. What we do know is that the election's over. And now it's in the hands of Hashem. So if we want to, if we have some sense this morning of pain, channel it into tefillah. If you're extremely worried about what the future holds, if you're extremely excited about what the future holds, channel it into prayer to Hashem for whatever the outcome is that you want. But I think that these... Dichotomous reactions of either you know being so a deep state of depression and devastation or glee and excitement in euphoric. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know what the future holds in either direction. We should have done our advocacy and lobbying when we could. It's over and decided. And and make Amuna great again. Amuna, as observant Jews, I understand if you don't believe in God. And you think that everything was about the results of that election and the person elected, okay, I understand having those one of two reactions. I get that. But if you believe in God and you are a student of history and you see God's hand in the unfolding of history, then you believe his hand will be present in the unfolding of destiny. And that doesn't mean that you should be happy, it doesn't mean you should be sad, it just means be cautious in your reaction, in either direction, and have a sense of emunah. I just had to get that off my chest. Okay, let's continue. <laughs> <laughs> ha-emunah, ha-emunah tam-tisa Yehudi. What is emunah? What is the charge of emunah? So again, it's not, right? So by the way, you could go to shul this morning, check, 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 I did this, I did that, I did the other thing, check, observe in Jew, check, check, check. But if you don't wake up today and say, it's in Hashem's hands, then you're missing the core foundation of a Jewish life, of a spiritual life. To be a spiritual person is not check, I said davening, check, I said telem, check, I ate kosher, check, I did chesed, check, I... Those are all critically important things. But at the root, the anchor of all of them is what it means to be a spiritual person is that all of those external behaviors contribute to the internal sense of faith that I am in a relationship and I want to nurture and nourish it. So the charge of Emunah in the life of a Jew is Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Listen, Yisrael... HaShem, our God, there is one HaShem. this verse, It's the soul of all of Judaism. It is the song, it's the poem of the life of a Jew. Our life begins with this verse. When a child is brought into the bris of Avramavinu, we don't say this, but Tzfatim do. I guess Nusach Tzfat does as well. But at the bris of, of welcoming a child into the covenant of Avram, it is proclaimed, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. What's the last thought as you close your eyes at night, as you reflect on your day, and you anticipate the day that is to come? That last thought as you close your eyes is to say Shema. You know what? I'm going to interpret what happened to me today and I'm going to anticipate what will happen tomorrow all through the prism of there's Hashem, He's our God, He's involved in our life and Hashem Echad. At the end of the day, He is the source of absolutely everything. When a child begins to speak, we teach them this verse. And then the beginning, Shema in the morning, Right? We say in the davening in the morning, the Birchas ha that fortunate blessed are we who wake up and go to sleep and we, we, we unify your name every day and we call out twice b'ahava, twice a day, in the morning and evening, lovingly we proclaim, we remind ourselves, we affirm our belief That things aren't random and they're not chance. And whatever happened to me today, whatever is going to happen to me tomorrow, Hashem, it's all you. How do we end Yom Kippur? We spend 24 hours purifying ourselves, living as angels, transcending the physical temptations and pleasures of the world. And how do we end? As angels, what do we proclaim? Shema's. And at the end of our, please God, long life, when we have finished our mission in this world, <speaking in> but <Hebrew> right before we take our last breath, <speaking in Hebrew> what's the vidui that we say, the confession we say with someone on their deathbed, right before their soul is extracted from their body? <speaking in Hebrew> so I think the has demonstrated for us that Shema is the motto of the Jewish people. Shema is the poem that that... Is the rhythm of the life of a Jew from when we're born, twice a day every night we go to sleep. At the end of Yom Kippur and um, and uh, and at the end of our life, the vidui. Ha he ha'ava yehudim. Faith emuna is the beloved altar upon which millions of Jews have shed their tears. We have a heritage. We have a family heirloom. It's called Shema. That throughout history, whether it was in the Inquisition or the Crusades or expulsions or the Holocaust, there were or, or Israeli soldiers going out to battle, who they shed a tear or the last words on their lips as they sacrificed and paid the ultimate sacrifice for being a Jew were these words of Shema, and was their demonstration of Amunah, faith. Such a beautiful language. That faith is the beloved altar upon which millions of Jews have left or shed their tears. And they offered their soul. With this holy fire, they climbed onto the altar. Right? I mean, think about it. Really, it's much more logical that Jews who were being persecuted and oppressed and murdered, their final words would be, where are you, God? There is no God. There is no God. Where are you, God? Life is godless. That's a much more logical final statement for someone being murdered to say. But instead, millions of Jews throughout Jewish history did the opposite. They demonstrated unbelievable, unfathomable faith. gam they said, you a very popular woman with your phone over here. <laughs> it's ringing every 10 minutes. <laughs> Even when we are blessed to not have to face that test of giving our lives, of being murdered, of being persecuted and oppressed, our life too should be informed and inspired by that same sense of amuna. And what is <laughs> the Lord? He says, He says, all the water in the world cannot extinguish the spark of faith in the heart of a Jew. Even those who are, who are immersed in the depths of, of, of Gehenna. You know, it's, it's what he's saying, how, how all the water in the world can't extinguish even the tiny spark of faith in the heart of a Jew. I've interacted with a lot of Jews who think of themselves as agnostics or atheists but you know the whole there's no atheists in a foxhole. When push comes to shove and in that moment, mm-hmm. that spark is there. Some have successfully fanned the flame so the spark is a raging fire. Others, it's like a pilot light. Sometimes it's a high flame. Sometimes it's a low flame, but it's there. And some who don't even know it's there have this pilot light lit inside them nonetheless because that's what it means to be the progeny of Avram, Yitzchak Yaakov, of Sarah Rivka, Rachel and Leah. They developed within our Genetics within the Jewish DNA that we pass forward to each generation that spark, the pintal yid, that spark that I'm not just here, it's not random, it's not chance, it's not by accident, that there's there's a purpose, there's a meaning, there's an order, that there's something greater than myself out there. Yes? Absolutely. Um, Do you believe that, yes, everybody has a spark, but do you believe some people spark? Is much stronger than others. or everyone has the same spark, and we can all spark as strong as person. Um, <laughs> it's like a genetic thing, or a personality thing, or... It's right? a good question. Yeah. It's a good question. I, I think that innately... You know, I, I'm a big believer that there are certain things which we know innately, um, and don't need to be learned, and the job of life is not to... is not to suppress or... Erase the things that we know innately, not to become bribed by the experience of this world, so that we're so clouded that we pretend that what we know innately isn't true. I'll give you just an example of a of a Dvar Torah that the whole conversation between Cain and Hashem, Cain and Hevel, two brothers, each offer a sacrifice. Hevel's is accepted, Cain's is not. Cain gets up and kills his brother, and God says to him, "Hey, Cain, the blood of your brother's calling out to me from the ground. What happened?" To which Cain says, HaShomer Achia Nochi, Am I my brother's keeper? And it's a whole bizarre conversation. Like God didn't know what happened, and Cain thought that he was going to be able to get away with it. What exactly were they having this conversation about? And one of the great commentators... Who was it? I mentioned it at my nephew's bar mitzvah a few weeks ago. Was it the Kleyaker? I think it was the Kleyaker. Or Chaim. Somebody explains that what's happening in the conversation is the following. Cain turns to God and he says... You know, God, you told Adam, you told Dad, you can't eat the Itadas, the tree of knowledge. When did you tell any of us we can't murder? Where does it say I can't murder? How did I know? We got in a fight, my brother ticked me off, I took a rock, and I cracked open his head. But where does it say I can't do that? So when you tell me that my brother's blood is crawling out, crying out from the ground, where does it say that I'm not allowed to do that? To which God responds, if you look at his response according to this interpretation, God's response is, there's some things I don't need to tell you. There are things that you need to learn, and there are things that you innately should know. And this you should have known innately. You need to have a moral compass innately. And I think that there are a lot of things in our life, including the idea that there's something... A baby is born, and they know they have parents, and they rely and depend exclusively on their parents. And that baby, who is not sophisticated enough to develop this thought but probably subconsciously or innately knows it. Well, if I have parents and my parents have parents and they have parents, and you get back to the first set of parents, there must be some ultimate greater parent or first cause for the universe. That the child knows or intuits from the womb. Then what's our job? I think we've learned or we've shared in the past this insight of Rav Ochanan Wasserman, a student of the Chavetz Chaim. Excuse me, who was murdered by the Nazis. So Rav writes, he says, you know, the great Aristotle debated whether God exists. We have the most brilliant physicists today who struggle with the idea that God exists. And yet, a girl turns 12 and a boy turns 13, and we say to them, You're now obligated in all mitzvos. Welcome to your bar bat mitzvah. And included in those mitzvos is Anuchya Shamalu Kecha. So you now have to believe in God. Can't the child say Aristotle wasn't sure? and Stephen Hawking That's not sure, and I'm 13 years old, and you're expecting me to be able to take that leap of faith? How can the Torah demand of the 12 or 13 year old what many sophisticated adults struggle to achieve? And Rav has a great, great, great insight. I think it's so true. He says, you know, you would be right if a parent or teacher had to first start to teach faith to the 12 and 13 year old. But we don't. From when a child emerges from the womb, they intuit that there is a God, a greater power, a being, a creator of the universe. Our job as parents is not to mess it up by their 12th or 13th birthday. Now, the default is to intuit that there's a God. Don't blow it and be so cynical and sarcastic and jaded that by 12 or 13, your kid also doesn't believe there's a God in the world. That's the mission. So the default is not there's no God, and now we have this impossible task of teaching them there is a God. The default is there is a God, and now don't mess it up. And as I've shared many times, you know, I think Jehovah and I grew as parents into this differently with our younger kids than our older ones, but, you know, a parent with younger kids can either say, well, they're kids, they don't understand this, so I never talk about God, or you can always talk about God. You know, oh, did you think Hashem before you ate the cake? Oh, isn't Hashem amazing? He gave us this parking spot. But did you thank Hashem that we had this incredible trip to Israel and Hashem has blessed us in so many ways without Hashem we could never have it? So parents can either choose to use the language of God and make it a presence in their kid's life in which kids by 12 or 13 the kid's like, yeah, we talk about Hashem all the time. I love Hashem, I look for Hashem, I think about Hashem, I talk about Hashem. Or, you know, your child could either never hear it or even worse yet, hear a cynicism and sarcasm and about the people who are into Hashem. Do our children ever see us get lost in governing? Do they ever see a shed a tear in davening? Is there anything more powerful to make a child believe that you really believe there's God than to see you talking to him and lose it? You know, when you're talking to him while you're also putting the dishes in the sink, you know, you deserve a lot of credit. You're getting the davening in. It's not easy, particularly for, for young mothers. But if you're getting davening in while you're multitasking, God bless you, it's amazing. But does the child really know that you really are having a conversation with the almighty, omnipotent being when you're, you know... Driving carpool while davening or, or doing the dishes or still uh, whatever, you're, you're getting done. Versus have they ever got a glimpse, have they ever caught you really lost in your davening, seeing you talking to Hashem? The same way you're on the phone with your best friend and you're talking about something really important, you tell your kid, you know, like, not now, can't you see I'm having an important conversation and I need to talk to this person about that thing? Do they perceive the same thing when they're interrupting you're talking to Hashem? Not now, can't you see I'm pouring out my heart to the King of Kings? So I think that... Um, does everyone have the same spark? To a certain degree, I think that we all have this, this internal anchor or compass, or we have this nishama which intuits and knows there's an almighty. But at the same time, there's no question that everybody has a different baggage. If you grow up in the, in the lap of atheists, and you grow up suffering and struggling and hardship, and you grow up with everything stacked against your believing in God, is, you can't say that you're... You have the same starting line as a person who grew up in the most holy home where Hashem's presence was felt and we're taught, blah, blah, blah. So I don't want to say that everybody starts from square one. That's why the progress people make really is more important than where they are. It's not a question of where you find yourself, which rung of the ladder. It's a question of where you started and where you ended up. I, I think that's true not just for Amuna. That's true in Hashem's relationship with us about everything. There are people who started out on one of the top rungs and they end up somewhere in the middle. And there are people who started out towards the bottom and they end up towards the middle just beneath it. So if you're looking objectively, the person who started towards right. the top is on a higher rung than the, per- the other person. But I don't think God looks objectively who's on which rung. I think He wants to know where we started and which direction we're headed. In which direction we're headed. Haimuna HaHishui Yasechaim are in the bottom right paragraph on the first page. So, Hinda, we will not get through the whole booklet today. But we're, we're, this is going to be our course of study for the next few weeks. Emuna is the song of life in the happiest, blessed, fortunate moments. Corn- Tob- you know, Emuna is what you sing when everything works out and everything comes together and everything makes sense and you feel that sense of joy, euphoria, happiness. So that same character trait of amunah we employ in the diametrically opposite moments of our life. In the greatest highs of our life we should feel overwhelmed with that sense of, of I'm unworthy and I'm grateful and Hashem and it's amazing. And in the darkest moments of our life to tap into that. Which is a very important Hebrew word Tragim Tragic. in the tragic words, dayan In the most tragic moments, every funeral I officiate begins by helping the people tear Kriya and say this blessing, Blessed are you Hashem, Dayan, the judge of truth. You're the judge of truth. I don't understand why you operate the world you do. I'm not happy about it. This is a very painful decision you've done to me, God. But you're the judge of truth. A passage we just read in Hazinu. We say at every funeral, God, you are the rock, the rock of righteousness. All of your ways are just. God of faith. The Dovet HaMalach... Didn't just see Hashem in his success and happiest moments. In the darkest, bleakest moments, you feel Hashem's guiding, supporting hand. Ha emuna hi osher hachaim. Amuna is the the richness, the blessing, the gift of life. When you're in that amuna zone where you see Hashem and everything and you feel his presence and you lean on Him, and you rely on Him, and you're talking to Him, when that relationship is running on all cylinders, you're alive. You're never more alive. You're never more connected to everything happening in your life. (laughs) The pleasure of feeling connected to Hashem far surpasses any other pleasure. Now it's legal to have medical marijuana in Florida, as of today. <laughs> but yeah, but far surpassing, far surpassing any other pleasure that exists, is the pleasure is the high, as Reb Shlomo, who's here at site, is uh, this week, have a special Shlomo minion Friday night. That's what Shlomo wrote in one of his famous songs, "Lord, Get Me High." And I don't know if the amendment had passed, not passed, but at least uh, I, I believe he was speaking about. Uh, getting high on God, that we we have the ability through Amuna to get high on God, yeah, yeah. to get high on God. Sometimes you meet those people; they're really obnoxious. You know, how's everything? Amazing, Hashem is amazing. I love Hashem. What's That's happened? Awesome. You terrible. They start to tell you all these terrible things in their life, but they're like, but Hashem is amazing and chaste Hashem, and it's going to work out. And I believe in Hashem. And you know, you, we're annoyed by those people because you're like, are they for real? Are they for real? Yeah, but. But they are, and mechanism. and they're more alive than the people who are grasping and struggling and looking. It may not be a coping mechanism. It's they are tuned into a reality, of of a, of a matrix. They're they're connected in a deeper. It's like they have a they have a higher speed connection. And says the Salam Rebbe, at least in his experience, that the opposite is also true. When you see somebody who is going, has a dark cloud that is concealing their faith and feelings of loneliness and disconnection from their father, alienation from their father in heaven, such a person is in a state of depression. They're despondent. They're low. They're in a low, low place. So what, what's the calculation? You know, the, the, what calibrates kind of where you are in a good place a happy place a bright place a strong prepared place to take on whatever the world throws your way versus a weak limping dark doubtful despondent place is how your emuna is doing of where emuna Ha emuna hazakaba the pure emuna no mabat mi kobria gives a unique perspective on everybody else right so kind of as we were alluding to earlier that the pundits are interpreting the election results one way, but they're all guessing, as the pollsters all proved, that all they were doing was guessing, (laughs) grasping in the dark. But if you live your life with a sense of faith that says, I don't need to read every article, I don't do everything, I do my research, I vote for who I think is right, and at the end of the day, my perspective is that it's up to Hashem, that God runs the world. So living with a sense of faith, and being able to interpret all that occurs in your world and the world with a sense of faith gives you a unique and strong and powerful perspective on the world. With the song of Amuna you can hear the, the sounds that are being proclaimed from all around you. they are glorious music being sung all around us. Every flower, every plant, every animal, every cloud, every view, every, every person is an expression of the Almighty in this world. So all of the natural world and all of the world around us is singing the song of, of God. But is our radio tuned in? Is our antenna, can our antenna pick it up? So when your antenna can pick it up, you're living life in, in color. And if your antenna doesn't pick it up, you're living life in black and white. You're just engaging in a world where you're not hearing the music that's being sung and played all around you. So isn't it much more amazing when you hear the music? It's great. It moves you. But that's Amuna, to see everything you know, going on. When we were in Israel for Sukkot, it, it's not reserved. You know, I think that there are some, in this way I really admire, in in particular, even those who are less observant, less emphasis on the check, 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 check. But the, so I, I was helping my sister was meeting with a tile guy over Cholom Oed was on Hoshana Rabbah morning. And this guy is covered in tattoos and we're carrying the tile. And I just came from Hoshana Rabbah davening forever that morning and I'm wearing a tie because it's a quasi-yantif and I think I'm so religious. And we're carrying this tile and the guy in tattoos is telling me, you know, today is the Khatimah. Today is really the end of the judgment. It's a very, very important day, Hoshana Rabbah. <laughs> You know, and then we're going into the Modian mall and there's some, some guy literally covered in tattoos and piercings and some Israeli Sephardi guy. He's going through the metal detector and I see him go back out again because he had missed kissing the mezuzah on his way in. You know, It was just a beautiful, beautiful sight. Um, not necessarily the artwork, but the, the <laughs> kissing the mezuzah was a beautiful, beautiful sight. So you know, what the Islam Rebbe is trying to get us to do is to realize don't just focus on the check, check, check. Don't focus on the flowers and the anniversary card, you know, and doing all, that's also important to a relationship. Just like the flowers and card are important to the relationship, but the foundation of the relationship is affection and love and time, giving time to the other person. So, so to our relationship with God, the check, check, check of mitzvos are the flowers and the cards. They're important, but at the core, if there's no love and there's no affection and there's no, you know what, God? I was about to lose it and now I just realized I forgot that you're involved in my life. I was about to get angry at that other person and look to take revenge against them. I just remembered that whatever happens in my life, you're part of it. I was about to struggle with stress and worry and anxiety and not know how I'm going to get everything done for what I have to do. And then I remembered that I could lean on and rely on you and that somehow it's all going to work out. That's what it means to be affectionate and to give that love to God. Last paragraph. Hamuna ha'tahora, No chazon v'tochen chayim To have that sense of faith for your life to be filled with that sense of God's presence, gives a person a, a vision and a tochan. There's there's substance. meat, there's meaning to your life, substance. And it nurtures you to be able to feel your unique mission in this world, right? That's the Rabbi has a whole other beautiful piece, which that Avram's test of lech lecha. Where's the test? God says. I'm making you a great name. You don't have any children here? Follow me. I'm going to give you children. You have poverty here? Follow me. I'm going to make you one of the wealthiest people in the world. Nobody knows you here? Follow me. I'm going to give you fame. And we say, ooh, what a tough test for Avram. Where's the tough test? Says the Slanom Rebbe, the test was, Lech, Lecha. Go, Lecha. Go discover who you are. Go find yourself. Don't just blend in with the crowd. Don't just be one of many. What's your unique mission? Given your life circumstance, your background, your skill set, what are you uniquely positioned to contribute to the world that nobody else can? It's the journey to lecha, right? God doesn't ever tell Avraham where he's going. He just says, leave your father's household. And we say, oh, that's part of the test is that he's on this mysterious journey. He has no, no, uh, no coordinates to plug into his GPS. Okay. But that's not it. God does tell Avraham the destination. You know where the destination was? Lech, lecha. The destination is Self-discovery. So says the Salaam Rebbe, where do we find the strength and the courage to go on that journey of self-discovery and to figure out what's our unique mission in the world? We find it by living a life of the emunah. This, because to live a meaningful life is to feel that you have a sense of purpose. And what's the highest sense of purpose? The greatest sense of purpose is to feel that you're on a mission from a great person. If somebody, the greater the person who calls you asking you to do a mission, the more focused, devoted, honored you are by having that mission. So if God Almighty taps you to do a certain mission, boy, you're going to be dedicated to that mission. So if you want to feel a sense of purpose in life and meaning in life, the more you have emunah in God and the more you'll feel He's tapped you to fulfill that purpose, the more drive you'll have. There's nothing more beloved to the Almighty than one of His agents fulfilling His agency. And you can overcome whatever challenges come your way if you feel, I, what do you mean? I can't stop going. I've got a purpose. I've got a mission. I'm not slowing down. I'm not going to let that stop me. I'm not going to let that derail me. I'm on a mission from God. I have something to accomplish. Blessed, fortunate is the nation who have this gift of emuna that gives life this meaning, this purpose, this energy, this happiness, this perspective this antenna to hear the music that's playing all around us. Have a fantastic rest of the week. You. We really miss this so much. Before everybody goes, can I just say something? Um, sure. On December 11th is the Sisterhood Women's Health and Halapa Day.